Hey friends, how's it going? It's Matt, you're listening to the Look Inside of His Action Sports Podcast. Yes, I did just open a beer, sorry about that. Saturday night, thought I'd uh, grab 20 minutes to put together this intro and have a beer. Why not, eh? Um, how's everyone doing? All right, I hope. Hope you're having a good week, wherever you find yourself listening to this episode. Yeah, it's a real treat, this one. Thanks to my guest, the great Nicola Toast. Yes, I did ask a couple of German friends the correct way of pronouncing the name after trailing this episode and getting it very badly wrong a couple of episodes back. So one of the things my friends always ask me about before I do a trip is, got any interviews lined up? And I must say I was shocked, even amongst my snowboard literate friends, and the number of people who didn't know who Nicola is. Another theme I've harped on for years is how bad snowboarding is at looking after its legends. I even wrote a lengthy hand-on-chin article about this for White Lines magazine many moons ago. And this is a classic case in point. I mean, the whole spiel of my podcast is that um, whole uncovering the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours business. And Nicola Toast is a legend, pure and simple. So if this episode goes some way towards introducing her to a new generation of people, then that was pretty much worth setting up the podcast for alone, really. Think I'm laying it on a bit thick? I really don't think I am. The simple fact is that Nicola is hands down the most influential female snowboarder of a generation. Yep, she's most famous for winning the first Olympic halfpipe gold in Nagano, a result that pretty much defined the phrase foregone conclusion, David Brent fans. But at this remove, it's worth underlining the impact Nicola's riding had on snowboarding. I mean, today, Chloe Kim's out there on her own for sure, but her riding at least bears some relation to what came before, and it's no exaggeration to say that Nicola completely changed the game, grabbed women's halfpipe riding by the scruff of the neck, and dragged it into the future. She went bigger, higher, and more technically than anyone else. In the phraseology of the time, she was praised for riding like a man, the highest possible praise at the time, but a phrase today that seems awesomely tone-deaf and cringeworthy. Anyway, we do get into that. But in preparing for this piece, I spoke to some of Nicola's peers and colleagues at the time, people like Trisha Burns and Donna Carpenter, and their awe at Nicola's riding and achievements was still palpable 20 years later. I'm sure you're getting the point, which is why I was so determined to interview Nicola for the show. We've been in touch for about a year, uh, making it happen. We're able to do it at Munich, ISPO, early February 2019. There's a couple of things to say about this one. First is, it's much, much shorter than usual. Basically, it absolutely dumped with snow while I suppose on, meaning that the Sunday we arranged to do it coincided with a massive powder day. Not unnaturally, Nicola decided to prioritise snowboarding over chatting shit with little old me. So texted me that morning saying she was going to be a bit late. And that meant by the time she did arrive, our interview window had been cut to about half an hour. And secondly, as you're going to hear, there's a real poignancy to this conversation that I really wasn't expecting. Now, of course, like I mentioned earlier, Nicola's known for Olympic gold medal. But this big ticket story, as became pretty clear, isn't the real story at all, not by any means. And what really comes across as she looks back over her career is the sadness and loneliness of her predicament as the winner of snowboarding's first Olympic gold. Because the backdrop of this whole story was the battle between Fiss the ISF and Terrier's boycott, something that came up in the Todd Richards episode, actually. Now, it's the story that I think most people that have got any interest in snowboarding history know about, something that I've personally written about for years. But for Nicola, it rendered her achievement bittersweet. As she says herself, she couldn't really be proud or celebrate the thing because the whole sport was against it. And I'm ashamed to say it's a perspective I've never really considered before. It's very fascinating hearing how, despite such massive success, 
Nicola still felt pressure to prove herself. And no matter what she did or how many competitions she won, it was never enough. As you might imagine from such a competitor and someone with such emotional intelligence and self-awareness, Nicola has spent the subsequent years using these experiences and trying to frame them positively to help others, which is something she's done through a hugely successful series of snowboarding camps. All that said, this is ultimately a joyous conversation because what comes out of it is how Nicola's relationship to snowboarding has continued to deepen and gain more meaning for her over the subsequent years and about the hard-earned perspective she now has on what were really some once-in-a-generation achievements. Now, as you probably gathered by now if you've listened to this for a while, I'm a big one for themes and one of the best parts about doing the podcast for me is learning what it's about as the months have gone by. And one key theme keeps coming back, success can be a lonely place. Whether it's Todd Richards describing how self-imposed pressure destroyed his chances at the Olympics, Baz keep talking about how he spent a lot of time worrying about the end of his career while he was experiencing his career, or now Nicola, feeling her own game-changing achievements were hollow because of the, what she perceived as the judgment of her entire sport, is something that comes up again and again. And in this instance, it's ultimately heartening to hear how she reconciled herself with her own path and learned to love snowboarding in a new way once more. I'll be back at the end. But enjoy this short, sweet and emotional conversation with myself and the legendary Nicola Toast, Game Changer. Enjoy. I think we've got to start with today, right? So we're at ISPO. It's the first day of ISPO and it's absolutely dumping. Yeah, and I, we sit here in a room and I look outside and it's white out, it's powder in Munich. And um, I came about one and a half hours late because... Uh, I got the best, I got the best, I'm going to be late text ever from Nicola. Like basically a picture of you riding <laughs> saying, I'm going to be late, sorry. I was like, yeah, fair play, you know. I'd, I'd rather be doing that as well, really. So how was it? It was absolutely great. I knew it a couple of days before already. The big dump that was the forecast. And I knew, oh, my God, this is going to be a tough day at ISPO. So, um, yeah, it was really, really cool. Back in my home backyard, uh, perfect lines, first lines. and. Uh, so you're in Westendorf, is in that right? In Westendorf, Yeah, Tyrol. in the Tyrol. Yeah. yeah. Um, so is that where you normally ride? You like you can just literally step out and there you go. Yeah, I I, I wake up in the morning, step outside and go snowboarding. And I as a as a little kid, I always dreamed of of that opportunity because I didn't grow up in the mountains. Um, I had to travel always to be um, in the mountains. And now I live in Westendorf since five years. So where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Pforzheim in Germany and basically started traveling for snowboarding um when i was 16. so you how did you but if you i don't know where that is so where is that in germany it's close by stuttgart okay it's, it's somewhere Sa- where southwest like, yeah but there's no mountains around. yeah <laughs> um so you had to travel um did you ski before or was it always snowboarding yeah i learned uh, skiing when i was three years all uh, right so you had the you had the background yeah but uh what, what's really funny when i tell young kids what age i started snowboarding and i started snowboarding when i was 14 or 15 i guess um which probably seems really late now right oh <laughs> really when did you yeah. start snowboarding what age uh i was 16 yeah see. so yeah in england 
on dry slopes. <laughs> so yes, you know. I know, but I also know that we used to have that at city events as well. Yeah, of course. Yes, you would you would have known that. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, because it was so new. Obviously, you were probably among the first generation, perhaps right to to try it. Like you know, if you when you were coming out, there probably wasn't that many people doing it, right? So no, when I started snowboarding, I remember whoever was on a snowboard on the mountain you were immediately you were friends yeah you, were you, best kn- friends. you could see him you were like yeah. you knew him yeah. yeah you're like hey that's cool you do that too yeah and um what i also remember it it took me a whole year or season um to learn the first turns it was not love at first sight because uh i didn't have i i kind of had to figure out myself how it works and uh i come from really different sports like gymnastics and ballet and swimming and stuff like that so 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 that's what you did when you were growing up yeah and how did you discover snowboarding then so yeah i was really lucky that my family we um or my parents we we traveled to the mountains whenever it was possible for a holiday school holiday and my dad and my brother they started snowboarding when it just came up and oh I lo- wow yeah. so your dad started yeah he started he's still riding today wow he's like ultimate yeah. cool dad <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is, yeah. uh, my mom as well actually right so We're the whole really family sportive family that's pretty that's pretty like ahead of its time though isn't it mm-hmm. for back then to yeah. for, for like that generation to yeah we started we started in hard boots even yeah maybe you too maybe all of us well it was really common wasn't it yeah it was like it was hards really or softs it was just yeah. you know there wasn't like a big different yeah and and i i actually i hated it i hated it because i just had such a hard time and um i was really struggling but once uh well what i see today what was the best thing for this uh, little girl who was all over sports like different sports um i did is that snowboarding was so playful and snowboarding um gave me the opportunity to be outside in nature yeah like every day was different and then later on also that i had the chance to travel the world and meet people and um so as i see it today this like I love snowboarding today probably more than ever and it's just part of my life that gave me so much more than <laughs> just those very best days as I had this morning you know? yeah so it was it was a new way of kind of seeing the world and a new experience yeah. for you yeah. was that something that you recognized straight away from the beginning as a little girl no probably not no probably not well, but it was very uh, it was very different to all my other sports because yeah there was no one else you could look up to or, or no books or no rules yeah you know? we just went outside and tried things like we jumped out of the slopes into the deep powder to to learn our rotation tricks you know right there was no bag jumps or something yeah yeah exactly so you yeah. had to you had to kind of make it up as you as you yeah. went really yeah was was competition something that you were always attracted to from the start not naturally but i also know that today that competition was uh our meeting point you know we all went to school so competitions were on the weekends and it was a reason or or like something where you could look up to and where you meet all your friends again. Yeah, so they were kind of the focal points, weren't they? Yeah. Almost of the scene yeah. back then. Yes. You know, like people could gather and exactly. And they were like the sort of centers of the culture almost, yeah. right? And I remember, of course, I mean, I was looking up to those guys or also looking forward to see where we all could meet again. And there was no iPhones or, or I didn't have numbers or 
I mean, no email either. Yeah. So even if you didn't talk to each other from one to the other competition, you knew for sure you're going to meet up with your friends. Maybe even in some total different ski resort. So that was really cool. I like that. Yeah, we were talking about that last night over dinner, actually. Like, because I've got some guys that work for me that are in their mid 20s, and you know, it seems hilarious to them that actually, yeah, you'd have to make those arrangements. You yeah. know, you're like, we're going to meet there, and you yeah. have to be there because you can't just check your phone yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I was, ch- and we were like saying, like, how did how did you do it? You just literally did that, didn't you? You know, kept that arrangement. So, was the pipe riding a natural? extension of the contesting was that did, did you find yourself quite naturally drawn to that um there was only the half pipe we didn't have uh, in my whole snowboarding career there was no rails or boxes or slope style but did you do like any slalom or anything at the time because no was i didn't do slalom i was definitely i was freestyle yeah or from day one yeah and really like playful jumping doing tricks figuring out things that was totally my thing yeah it wasn't i always hated any sport where they measured time or numbers (laughs) yeah and as you said with the competition um i didn't like competition at all and I was a terrible competition writer. Really? That's it, might, it might sound f- funny. That sounds really funny. It, it took me forever to really win. And, and as I look back, I mean, it's easy to look back 20 years. You know, it's totally different. It seems as if it was my little daughter or something. Yeah, you know? sure. If I look at the girl, I'm, I'm so proud of her, how she managed with all the pressure she put on herself um, to show the best she can. And... Um, she was just so playful and, and wanted to, you know, improve and, and try new things. And and it was not about the winning itself. It was more like doing the best snowboarding ever yeah. and each and every day. So that was my focus. And today, of course, I know if you don't want to win, you can't win. <laughs> you know, that's the simple, simple reason. Um, but luckily, luckily, during a certain time, I was really so progressive and so cons- like consistent with my own writing that I still had the chance to win a couple of competitions here. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, if you... I remember it mid, mid-90s, right? This is when we're talking about. And I remember when you kind of started winning events and it was, a, it, was an, it was a raising of the level. You know, it was like a... Mm. I mean, God, it sounds ridiculous now, but people did used to say like, oh, she rides like a, a, a boy, which now just sounds like so ludicrous. But that was almost like a compliment back then, right? You know, that's what people used to say as it, like a, like, which just seems crazy. But that was kind of, it, it was, you came along and definitely went higher, were more technical, were more progressive with the tricks. Was So this was something that you, this was how you pushed yourself by the sounds of it to, to kind of progress your own riding at the time. Yeah. Yeah, um, it was the biggest compliment you can, mm. could get uh, as a girl if if they said <laughs> if they said um, she rides like a guy. Yeah, how do you and feel about that now? When you think back to that now, um, I'm actually I'm a little bit sad. <laughs> as I said before, um, you don't miss things you don't know. So it was totally normal for me. I grew up with brothers, and I grew up with uh, snowboarding guys, ninety yeah. percent. I had a couple of good uh, female friends, but uh, over the time they, like, as I improved and went on the world tour and did the World Cups and all that, um, my real friends were not with me anymore. So 
I was in this like really tough, uh, mainly snowboarding guys uh, culture. Yeah. Culture. Yeah. And I just didn't know know it any else. And they were my my level I could look up to. And if and I knew if they can do it. Uh, I can do it as well. Yeah, you know that was my that was the way <laughs> motivation. You, that was the way you looked at it. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like it could be challenging because you. Were, how old would you have been when you first got on the tour? And um, it, I was like seventeen, eighteen. Yeah, it's young, like right? That eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. How did it come to that point when you got on the tour? You just got got first sponsors and people started to kind of recognize your talent and and just give you opportunities is that how it kind of developed yeah when i look back what i um realize also as i um as i support uh, young snowboarders and young people in realizing their passion for a job today when i look back on on my younger uh, career i see that i was so focused on snowboarding it it played the biggest role in my life um I don't know why, because <laughs> I had, you know, I there was no reason why I had to ex- escape from home. Um, it was a safe home. I had a good family. I had brothers and sure. all this. Yeah. But it was so important to me that all I had in my mind was um, I wanted to see as good as I can get if I... Uh, take on all these opportunities and I didn't feel happy all the time of course as soon as I was in the mountain and I was in the pipe or snowboarding I was really happy but all that traveling by myself and also that I couldn't really choose my friends my friends were the ones that were on tour the ones I I was together with and with the sponsored teams Um, and and that's what I see today that's what I feel today where it makes me a little yeah, just when you when you look back, different. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a high price. That's what I would say. Yeah, that's it. It, sa- it sounds I like paid. when when you look back. Yeah. yeah. Um, does it feel what you achieved was worth it when you look back? Because obviously you achieved incredible success. Yeah. The, well, you know, really like the biggest success of all, Olympic yeah. gold medal, <laughs> and and not you know I don't mean that in snowboarding terms, obviously, but in terms of like competitive sport, mm. that's what people consider to be the the benchmark Did, does it seem like a fair trade like the achievements for the experience mm, I think there's no answer because I can't I can't change it back and yeah. I don't want to change it back um, it's more that especially the way I live today and also the life I live today it's just that I I look back at things to understand why am I here and what made me to who I am and my snowboarding career really had a strong impact. As you mentioned, the Olympics, um, just a little history thing about that, you might remember as well, we had these big uh, struggles with uh, the federations of uh, the Snowboarding Federation and the FIS. Well, this is something I really wanted to ask you about from your, your yeah. perspective about this. And um, I, you know, my my biggest idols when I was young was uh, Nicole Angelrad for the women and Terry Hawkinson. Yeah, of course. And the, he was the, the one who made a big call by not going to the Olympics. And if your biggest ever hero decides on saying this is not good, you know, and you win something <laughs> which is not good, and not ter- not only Terry was saying it, it was the whole vibes in our yeah, it was the big in our scene, you know. It was it was the story. It was tough. In in, in I'm really right. Yeah. So that and 
as I see today, I'm really sad. As I just, you know, it's it's not the sadness is not here today in in in, in me as I sit here. It is more for this girl. She wins something where other athletes train on all their life, dream about all their life, even live for. And she wins that, and she cannot really be proud or celebrated because her whole sport is against this title. And that's tough. That's really tough. I remember when I, um, when I came back from Nagano in Japan, February, um, we had the US Open afterwards. And those, those vibes were so intense. It was like, okay, it doesn't mean anything to win the Olympics because it's not all the best riders there. It only means something if you win the US Open. That's, you can compare the Open to the X Games these days. Back in the days, the US Open were the most important thing. So I went there right after, and I won, I won the US Open as the first European rider, I remember that. <laughs> and, and then I won the Nippon Open as well, and I won the Tour and everything. But I felt it was never enough. Not for myself, not for me personally. It was more, I had to prove, I wanted to be seen as a, as a progressive snowboarder. I wanted, you know, and not as this Olympic girl which won something that doesn't mean anything in snowboarding. That's so crazy though, because when I, from just, from somebody looking at your career from the outside, like you were, you had the reputation of being the most progressive snowboarder, like you, that was who you were like publicly so to hear that is really sad because it because it it's not fair you know because what what else could you do other than like be the best rider possible take the sport forward win every event like whether it was the olympics or the us open which obviously like you say is the most credible thing you can't do any more than that yeah. you know you can't you can't what else is there to give basically you know that's true. Yeah, and that's why I, all I can say, like, um, I'm so, today I'm so proud of all that. Um, when I was right in between, like right in that time and area and, and chapter of my life, I couldn't really um, enjoy it as much uh, looking back. And that probably also brought me to, um, uh, you know, what I did after after my snowboarding career that all I wanted I wanted to support young snowboarders in in their um, in their progression as a person and as a snowboarder and just to be strong enough to go the way they choose and the way what's the best for them and what they love the most and all this um, because I I was kind of so disappointed from those um, on one hand being a good snowboarder but then that the numbers or what you win or the people that judge you is so different. Like, yeah. So you want to use your experiences to enable people to see the importance of being true to yourself, basically, yeah. with, how, with what you choose to do, with the decisions that you make. Yeah, and also maybe if uh, I, I remember, like, you know, if I did interviews and interviews and when <laughs> I won a competition and they asked me, and how does it feel? And I'm like, I'm so proud I did this back-to-back -back seven and McTwist thing. I was so proud to invent new tricks like as, for female riders or to, to be like really high 
um, out of the half pipe and all they wanted to hear how it feels to win and it's just you know it's so it's hard if you um, if you're out there and you say things and people don't it's it's not important to them so you didn't feel like you could tell your story yeah. in the way that you, yeah. you you felt it that's true yeah so how did it because you you also went to Salt Lake, right? Am I am yes. I right? Yeah. So how did was it difficult decision to to try and achieve that afterwards? The funny story was that for both Olympics, um, I was seriously injured before um, before Nagano. I was injured, and that's why I arrived late. And just for the fi- two final runs, I just barely had was back in my you know my level of riding. And for Salt Lake, the same thing happened. I broke broke my wrist, and I couldn't um, couldn't ride and couldn't train. And it was it was like a déjà vu four years later. Um, the only difference was, of course, that everyone was looking at me and expecting to win. And and for this time, um, it it I, f- I crashed in the finals two times. So suddenly, I felt how different it can be, you know, how it totally changes. Because I've, sometimes I've felt that people lift me w- up way too high above, like on a certain podium, I didn't feel comfortable. You didn't recognize. I, yeah, and then on the other hand, they put you down like if you don't deliver. Yeah. And nobody really knew the story behind because also what during that time at 2002 Salt Lake it was just about the time where the internet started and everything but all through my career all we had were print magazines where mainstream media that didn't really write about snowboarding and live television or uh, some some smaller channels in television or our snowboarding movies yeah of course (laughs) yeah on tape so um a lot of background information was not there uh, and that's probably also something what I like and and also think is a good thing for, for athletes today that they have their own voice. Yeah. You know, if you, they want to bring something to the world which is important to them, uh, they can stand up and say it and, and, and talk the truth. So, yeah, that was... They have those platforms that yeah. they can that they can it's take cool. control of their own yeah, it's in, really in, cool. in the way that you didn't have the opportunity to. So when you, because obviously what you do now is you're still snowboarding, and you, I mean, it'd be good if you explained like what you actually what you do now, so that people are, are not super familiar can, yeah. can understand. Because I mean, you run the camps, right? Basically, yes. I um, there's. Uh, when I, after a lot of injuries, I decided to stop my um, freestyle career. And uh, that's what, and I was really sad about, like, it was not, it was not a, f- a fun decision, but I didn't have another chance because my knees, they didn't, didn't make it anymore for all those, for that level of riding. So um, that's when my uh, event organizing chapter started i organized women camps for snowboarding i organized kids camps and out of that i like to change things a couple times <laughs> just as, as also times change out of that my talent scouting series uh, called sprungbrett which is a springboard yeah you know, yeah yeah um that started 10 years ago we have the 10-year anniversary this season and uh, 
with this series um, it was my intention as I said before to support kids not on a competition level or not on but way before like really young passionate snowboarders that love snowboarding as a kid just as I did with no certain intention yet with not not certainly knowing what's their specific talent if it's freestyle if it's sport or cr uh, snowboard cross if it's maybe even for being a photographer or a filmer and just snowboard as your hobby. So that should be a platform where all those passionate snowboarding connected people can gather. Um, also young young filmer, photographer, young coaches that love to share their experience. That's really a really cool thing to move on and, and be the be the testimonial for this kind of series. Yeah, and, and, and it sounds like you were able to take your own experiences to to work out what environment you wanted to share with people. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. And um, in my uh, uh, my full time job is um, f since two years, I created a platform. It's called the Path, where I do personal coaching with people, like not snowboarding or sports only. It's just people that are in challenging situations in their life to accompany and, and guide and coach them to take the good sides out of out of uh, difficult changes okay and so you can use experiences to to help people yeah and we situations. do that outdoors so yeah i was going to ask is it is it yeah. is it about like taking those outdoor experiences and helping people exactly in this way yeah because um i also i moved to the mountains four years ago and and i, I lived in munich for many many years and i felt that that uh stepping back from all this overload on information and and noise and people and things it's really healthy for me yeah it's probably different for every people but it brought up also a lot of space and room to feel more hear more and experience new areas i felt it was so valuable if you are if you want to get to know uh, better what's important for you in life um, to go out in nature and to close the circle that's how I see it today is probably as a little girl already I loved it so much to be out in nature where it's quiet where it's pure where every day is different and it changes and where you feel just humble to to be part of it um, and that's what I'm so great, like what I'm really grateful for that snowboarding gave me always the chance to to be in contact with nature. And that's why we we really, f like snowboarding and me, we really fell in love over and over again in different, in different ways. It sounds like, yeah, your relationship with it just continues to evolve. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that must be a nice thing to realize right yeah it's it's really nice and the more i i concentrate on on how we want to live it like myself and snowboarding as i see it you know me and myself as as we did this morning how we set our priorities i would say yeah also with my friends of course like other people that how they live snowboarding you know it's it's not snowboarding is is a way of how you live your life and everyone can do it the way they like there's no right or wrong it's that's the important thing to know there's no right or wrong and and that's the big lesson i learned over growing up um in a specific 
seen and yeah this is exactly what i was going to say so this is the le- the lesson because yeah. you weren't given again that opportunity yeah. to experience it in the way you wanted to do you think that was just because people almost didn't have the vocabulary to to allow that do you know what i mean do you know what i mean like because because when you th- the era that we're talking about you know this political debate around snowboarding that you were caught up in like it was it was very narrow wasn't it It it's very like one view of snowboarding you know that you were at the center of do you think it was because the sport needed to evolve in a way that enables you just to have these different interpretations that you're talking about um i'd say it it mainly has to do that i'm 20 years older yeah 25 it's just i'm in a total different stage of life i grew up as a as a person as a woman as uh, I have, um, you know, different goals in life than I used to have 25 years ago. So that also changes my way how I see things. So when I was 16, and even when people are coming up and telling me, hey, remember Nicola? Like, I was the one who did the accreditation at this and this event and stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry I don't recognize you because, you know, all I wanted is to, you know, go to the pipe and ride. Yeah. So my focus was to do that that kind of thing and and growing up i'm in a different um situation so i think young snowboarding guys and girls uh they also focus still focus on riding hopefully and not on getting sponsors um (laughs) (laughs) in the first place uh yeah so i think it has a lot to do with uh, that i grew up and w- are you somebody that always tries to it sounds like you are but to try and take these experiences and even if they're negative and try and find a positive outcome try and learn how you can again evolve as a person through these experiences yeah. yes that's uh, that's also something I experienced over the last years like when I I had a, a little like special career uh, between 215 and 217 I I started in the free ride world tour yeah I was gonna ask you about um, that as well which yeah. was super like oh my god that was such a great experience because I really really missed this um feeling I had traveling the world for the reason of snowboarding with other like-minded people like to of course for for the competition but there's so much more around and I I was so grateful I could experience this one more time in my life um, and I loved it and of course yeah I, I won the Verbier Extreme which was really extreme <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um, i can't believe it either yeah i decided to last winter i decided to finally after 25 years finish my uh, snowboarding career as an athlete because exactly because of that reason because i felt there's something some talents and some really um some things that want to be that want to be lived, that never had a room because I was so focused on this snowboarding and uh, on my career. Uh, and now a lot of things are coming where I see it from a different kind of perspective and where, um, yeah, which is really interesting. Did you miss the... Because it sounds like the the injuries almost brought your competitive career to a premature end did you miss the competitiveness was that a difficult thing to give up no 
not a competitive, no, not competitions, not at all. More um, that snowboarding is my main job. Sounds funny, maybe, but it is also like this reason to wake up in the morning. If it's your reason to wake up, to be the best snowboarder you can be for yourself, that was my reason for many, many years. Of course, I didn't think about it every day, but um, <laughs> that was my reason to wake up. And as soon as you quit something, it was my own intention and nobody forced me, suddenly you wake up and you ask yourself, um, who are you without your snowboarding story? What's your reason now and what should it be in the future, in the next 25 years? So um, that's tough. And that's also a big point or reason also why I sit here today. I feel that my mission is from some things I'm blessed with having it more than other people and some things I have less than other people. So I don't have, might not have that family or kids or steady friends because I traveled the world all my life. But I'm blessed with a lot of courage and experience as in my young age, I experienced so many things I went through. And I feel, I even get goosebumps saying this, um, that I'm here for a reason and also to encourage other people and inspire people. And that's how I grew up. I did what I loved with snowboarding. Um, I had this vision and um, I went outside and did it. And even if there was no internet, today, I realize more than ever when people are writing me how much impact I had. I didn't even know that all the, all these years. So that's I want to encourage other people that even tough times or also times where you don't really think you know what's next, what's coming next, what's my reason to wake up. There's always something coming next and If you go out and snowboard, <laughs> it helps. <laughs> That's a great point to finish it. Thanks so much, Nicola. You're welcome. Yeah, it's great. Great being here. So there you go. That was my interview with uh, Nicola. Hope you'll agree. We packed a lot into that short conversation. I'm hugely grateful to Nicola for trusting me to tell her story in this way, as I know it's no small thing for her to stick her head above the parapet and give her perspective after so many years. And I really hope that I did a story justice. Please do know, let me know what you thought about this one by emailing me at podcast at wheellookingsideways.com, messaging me on Instagram, I'm at wheellooksideways, hitting me up on Twitter if that's your retro thing or however else you want to do it. Like I said, apologies for the shortness of this one. Always a perennially contentious issue, the whole length of podcast thing, a bit like the whole length of intro thing, but I hope you'll understand that there are extenuating circumstances in this one. I also wanted to make a point about how I approach these interviews off the back of this one. When I mentioned I was interviewing Nicola beforehand, I got a lot of comments that were like, ask her about the Playboy interview, because Nicola famously posed in Playboy at the height of her fame. And as you'll notice, I didn't ask her about that. Just didn't seem a very sensitive line of questioning, given the way the conversation was going. And my goal with these interviews is always to make my subjects comfortable enough to feel respected so they'll open up and be honest about their experiences. And the other thing is they're a snapshot, these things. They're not, they're not intended to be an exhausting, an exhaustive, should I say, a little Freudian slip there, 
covering of every topic, especially when you've only got 40 minutes. It's like I got a message after the Jeremy Jones one saying, loved it, but I would have really liked it if you'd gone into more detail over this thing that I personally am extremely interested in. I mean, as an interviewer, the road to madness lies that way. I mean, sure, I could try and predict that and steer the conversation in that way. But a lot of this is about the art of conversation. You want things to be natural. You've got to know when to move things on and steer it in a way that ticks a lot of boxes, but is sensitive to what the uh, the other person wants to get out of it. So that's what I try and do. And that means that the thing that you wanted to hear about, dear listener, occasionally is a bit of collateral damage. So I hope you feel the overall trade-off is worth it. So California update, it's coming up quick. Huge thanks to my friends at Visit California and Hertz, plug alert, for their help with this entire mission. I'm going to warn you now, I'm going to be crediting these guys a lot over the next few months. Not too sure if there's going to be like an advert, probably not, or a header, or just a few judicious mentions. But the fact is that my America trip wouldn't be possible without their generous help, and I'm going to give them full credit for that. Anyway... I'm currently annoying the shit out of a lot of people on the west coast of America as I try and tee up interviews. Marketing men, marketing women as well, friends of friends, Instagram DMs. I'm leaving no stone unturned in what is definitely the tawdriest, hustliest, least enjoyable part of this whole process. But I am making some headway and I've got a very intriguing guest list shaping up for the extended California omnibus. So keep them peeled. All right, that's it for now. I'll be back next week with another episode. But in the meantime, thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Nice one. <laughs>